Welcome and good evening. As we prepare to reflect, remember exactly that, how deep the Father's love is for us. As we get started, people are waiting out in the lobby, so if you do want to scoot a little closer, you're welcome to do that. Tonight's service is going to be a little bit different than your typical Sunday service in a few different ways. At times, the sounds will be difficult to hear, the sights hard to watch. And you'll notice that there are no chairs in the room, and that's on purpose. Our hope is that as your legs weary, your feet perhaps grow tired, that you might be able to, a very, very small way, be able to identify with the pain that Jesus went through on our behalf. There are chairs on the sides of the rooms, you may have noticed, so if you need to sit for health reasons, please do that. And throughout the service, if you want to sit on the floor, kneel, whatever posture you feel you want to be in as you reflect and as you worship, please feel free to do that. Tonight we will walk through the various stages of Good Friday, and then we will respond together in worship. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour of waiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Good Friday is kind of a weird name to call what we're remembering today. It's kind of a strange name. A friend of mine uh, posted something inviting his friends to Easter this last little bit and mentioned that he'd love you to come to Good Friday, or he wants you to come to Easter, and then if you can, also come to Black Friday, which I thought was kind of funny, but honestly, it's probably more fitting of a term, do you not think? 
for what we actually talk about today because Good Friday seems a little bit on the ironic side. So why is the day we're celebrating, the day we're remembering right now considered good? It doesn't seem like it should be considered good unless you consider the fact that it's good because Jesus took our place. It was supposed to be us on the cross. It was supposed to be us that would take that suffering. And so tonight, we don't just gather to marvel and to, uh, and to celebrate an empty tomb. We gather tonight to remember and to reflect on a blood-stained cross. Tonight is a reminder that in order to have Easter Sunday, we have to have Good Friday. In order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be a death. And so the suffering began for Christ. It did not begin on the cross. It didn't even begin with the flogging or the scourging. The suffering for Christ actually began in the garden, in Gethsemane. That's where it began, in an old olive grove, a garden. And the word Gethsemane actually means, technically means oil press. And there was a lot that was pressing on Jesus at that point in time. The crucifixion would not happen for hours. And so the suffering actually started inside of the garden, but it started in a different way. Obviously it wasn't physical. What it was is it was emotional. It was a heart of suffering. Because Jesus' close friend just betrayed him. His other ones, as you just heard through scripture, are sleeping on the ground. They're not waking. I mean, he's saying, stay up with me, pray with me. And they, they're not. And he knows in a few moments that Peter is going to deny him, his best friend. So his friends have abandoned him and he feels alone. And I think everyone in this room at some point in time, even though we're not alone in this room, sometimes we can feel alone in a crowd. And Jesus is alone in the garden. And in the Gospel of Luke, it actually tells us that Jesus sweated blood. It's like a medical rarity. It's called hematidrophus or drophus. And basically what it is, it's doctors and scientists haven't been able to figure it out. There's been less than 10 accounts of this actually happening in the history of all history. Only 10. That's why they can't study it. It's just so extremely rare. But the one thing that they do know is that it's caused by extreme anguish. And so Jesus' suffering started before the scourging. It started before the cross. It started in the garden. And so what does Jesus do when suffering starts? Jesus prays. And in Matthew, here's what he says. And Matthew was there to account for this. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And he saw there, as we read a little bit, how many times did he pray this prayer? He prayed it three times. Three times he brought this request before God. He said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. What cup is he talking about? He's talking about what he is about ready to suffer, the emotional weight that he has on him. He's feeling alone. His disciples are asleep. He goes back and forth to him saying, wake up, would you stay with me? I need to be with someone in this moment. I need a partner in this, but he felt alone and he knew the physical pain that was about ready to come. He knew that it was coming. And so Jesus simply says, Father, would you take this cup from me? Because he knew what was ahead. He knew what was going to happen. And he's asking, Lord, is it possible? He's not saying take it because I'm scared. He's not saying take it because I don't want to do it. He's asking the Father in this moment, is there another way? 
And then check out what Jesus says in the next line. It's amazing. He says, yet. He says, I would love this cup to be taken from my hands. Yet. So in spite of or in light of this cup being a huge weight, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Not thy will be done. Or not my will, but thy will be done. Those are powerful, powerful, powerful words. Why would Jesus say that? Here's why Jesus would say that is because he's good. It is Good Friday. He loved us enough to submit to the will of the Father. And what was the will of the Father? Scripture tells us it was to crush the Son. And so Jesus is there and the suffering has already begun inside of this garden, this ancient garden. And so how does Jesus prepare for it? He prays. And so that's what I would love us to do starting this evening is to start in prayer. If we have something that comes up inside of our lives, how we would prepare for that, what do we do? We try to think of strategies. We try to think of ways to go about it. We maybe talk to other friends, but we should start here as Jesus gave us the example of is when you're going to experience something difficult, if you're going to walk a very hard road, let's start in prayer with the Father. The disciples weren't able to do it Jesus was tonight to prepare our hearts for this weekend, for this victorious weekend. It starts with the death. It ends with the resurrection. But in order to prepare our hearts, my request is that we would start in prayer. And so we're not going to sing a song for two minutes. For two minutes, what I'm going to offer to you is to pray. I'm going to encourage you to even pray out loud. That might be uncomfortable because there are people next to you, but that's okay if they hear you. My heart is that you would pray that your hearts would be prepared for what we have ahead of us this weekend. And, 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 and truly check with yourself, Lord, what would you have me to learn in this period of time? Search me, oh God. And so let's take two minutes before we continue in worship and let's pray as Jesus prayed in the garden. That is the hardest one for me to watch when it comes to the videos, just the sounds of what our Lord endured. That's a lot, is it not? He endured a lot on our behalf. The cat o' nine tails is sometimes called the cat of nine tails or just simply the cat. It is the whip in which they whipped Jesus with. Nothing fancy about it. Just has leather straps, and on the end of those leather straps, they typically would put, we don't know what was used for Jesus, pieces of metal, pieces of rock, sometimes glass, would be tied to the end of those. And under Hebrew sentencing, what Paul went through is that it was 40 lashes minus one. That means that you could hit your person that was sentenced to death or was sentenced 39 times because they felt like the 40th time that would kill them. So that was the standard they have, 39 times, 39 lashings. Oftentimes I've heard it said that Jesus was hit 39 times, but he was not sentenced under Hebrew sentencing. He was sentenced under Roman sentencing. And under there, they have unlimited amount of lashings that could come forth, unlimited. The only restriction that they had, the only condition is that the, the, the criminal, if that's what you wanna call Jesus, the criminal, has to be able to carry their cross. And if you knew, 
Jesus wasn't actually able to carry his cross all the way to Calvary. In fact, they stopped and a guy named Simon was ordered to pick it up and carry it the rest of the way. So he wasn't able. So it's quite possible that he was hit more than 39 times with the cat of nine tails. So he endured a lot on that day on our behalf. And then he went to the courtyard of the governor's palace. It's Praedorin is the name of it. And it's, it's, it's inside of there that all the soldiers, this is crazy, it's inside of um, the gospel of uh, Mark that you'll read this account. He gathered all the soldiers inside of there. The soldiers came in and all of them came and they started mocking him. This is where they spit on him. This is where they took rods and hit him inside of the head. They grabbed the, cor- the, sor- the crown of thorns and they wrapped it up and they stuck it on his head. And it says they gave him a purple robe, which I thought was crazy because purple is the sign for royalty. And so they give him this purple robe and they put it on him. And what's nuts is that it covers his wounds and then only to be ripped back off and to rip open all of those wounds again. They give him a scepter and then they mock him. I don't know what was probably more painful for Jesus in that moment. Was the actual beating or was the fact that they were mocking him for being the king and in all actuality, he was the king. And he still is the king. Can you imagine the surprise to those guys' eyes when they realized who they actually were mocking was the king? And they're saying, hail, hail, king of the Jews. And that's our actual king. Here's the craziest part for me. When I read the Gospels and when I watch The Passion of the Christ or any other video that depicts the process that Jesus went to, here's the part that stands out to me. And maybe, it, maybe you haven't thought of this or maybe this stands out to you too. But it's the fact that he took it. You guys catch that? In all those shows, they show him bound and he's got this cross and he can't get away. But with the snap of his fingers, it could have been done and over and it's it. He could have got out of it. If he got frustrated, if he got tired, in a second, he could call down allegiance of angels. But yet he chose not to do that. At any moment, he could have called it. He said, I'm tapping out. This is too much for me. I don't want to do it. But he didn't. Jesus stayed. He loved us enough to stay and take it. He stayed the course. He stayed through the whole entire process for us. He loved us enough to stay. You want to hear the the second most shocking verse inside of the entire Bible? This is it. It's Isaiah 53 verses 10. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Here's what it says. It says, yet it was the will or the desire of the Father, the will of the Lord to crush him. To crush who? To crush the Son. Did you catch that? That is the second most shocking verse in the Bible. It was the will of the Father to crush the Son. I am a dad. I have two sons. I have two daughters. I could not imagine them. I couldn't let this happen to them in any shape or form. I couldn't. I don't care if it was for your benefit of everybody in this room. I couldn't do it as a dad. And yet... God allowed this. This was his will. This was his desire. And why would God will this? Well, the answer is in the most shocking verse in the Bible. Do you want to know what that is? The most shocking verse in the Bible is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is the most shocking verse that I can think of. Why did he do it? Love, 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 love. 
And Jesus said in the garden, not my will, God, but your will. So allow me to be crushed. And in the midst of that, what did Jesus do? Jesus volunteered to stay. And he loved us enough to stay throughout the whole entire process. He loved us enough to submit and he loved us enough to stay. That's courage, peoples. Sometimes when I watch the passion, I watch when Christ falls and it takes a second for him to get back up and keep going. That's courage. To stretch out his hands and take those nails, that's courage. To take each one of those whips, however many there were, that is courage. And he did that for us. That is love. Let's continue in worshiping and remembering him for the sacrifice that he gave. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice on the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, sabachthani, means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The weight that he carried there's a lot I feel like even now the weight of even this moment in this service it's a lot it's a lot of weight to carry even as we sit here or we stand here most of us it's heavy is it not the great part about it being heavy is it just shows the contrast to the magnitude of what he accomplished. With great darkness, there's great light. There's great hope. Golgotha is the place where Jesus was crucified. It literally means the, 
the, the place of the skull. And Jesus was nailed to a cross. As so many songs have said, it was his love that held him there, not the nails through his wrist. He could have instantly been done with that. He was nailed and put up between two thieves that, you know, they deserved what they were getting, but Jesus did not. They had committed crimes. Jesus was perfect. And even when Jesus was on that cross, what did he do? He did the same thing he always does, as he reached out to people in love, and he reached out to them in love. And yet, as the soldiers were doing, the crowd mocked him. They said, come down from that cross. You could save others. You could heal others. You certainly could heal yourself, could you not? Come down if you're all-powerful. The crazy thing, he was all-powerful. He was. And he could have come down, but he chose not to. And at noon, here's what's crazy. The Bible says that it became dark at noon, in the middle of the day, the highest point of the day, it became dark. Now, we don't know if an eclipse came over, but it lasted for about three hours. An eclipse, total darkness. It's a miracle, God, whether he used an eclipse or whatever he used, he allowed it to happen. And at 3 p.m., Jesus cried, why have you forsaken me? And he's talking to the Father. He's saying, where are you in this? He feels alone. Again, he feels alone. And then what did he do? In a loud cry, he died. And then what happened after that is nuts. If you really read the scripture, they don't talk about this very often on a church service or especially on an Easter. But it says what happened in Matthew is it says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil they're talking about is the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the regular people. It was 30 feet in width and it was 60 feet high is what it was historically documented to be the case. And it was said to be between one to four inches thick. And all of a sudden, Jesus dies and it rips in half, head to toe, all the way down to the bottom, showing that the entrance into life with Christ, the entrance back into relationship with the Father is open. You don't need to sacrifice anymore because the perfect sacrifice just gave his life. And the scripture goes on. It says, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And then this is where it gets really interesting. And the graves were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, or in other words, who had died, were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, these people, these saints, these dead saints, and appeared to many. Talk about the walking dead people. That's crazy. That's nuts. And all this is going on. Because the God of the universe put himself on a cross for our benefit. And the Roman guard who just happened to be there, what does he say? He says, surely this must be the Son of God. He got it in that moment. He got it. So many people missed it when they were walking next to Jesus, but he got it. A Roman guard got it. And what's so amazing about this whole thing is, again, Jesus could have left at any moment, but he stayed till the end. He loved us enough to die. He loved us enough to submit to the will of the Father. He loved us enough to stay through the punishment, and he loved us enough to see it to the end. He loved us enough to die. It was all in love. That's why he did this crazy, heavy, heavy thing. 
the night didn't start off so heavy like that. Earlier that night, Jesus actually predicted his death. He was sitting with his disciples, with his friends, with his buddies. And they had what is called now the Last Supper. They had dinner together. They had bread and they had wine. And when they were there, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he says, guess what? This is my body. He was foreshadowing what he was about to do. Think about that. If you were Jesus in your mind, what that would feel like. Breaking that bread. This is my body. This is exactly what's going to happen to me. And he hands it to his disciples and they eat of the bread. And he says, it represents my body. And then he gives the cup and passes the cup around and they take a drink. And he says, this is my body. This is my blood spilled out for you. This is a sacrifice that I am making. And so this is the routine. This is the ritual. This is what we do called communion. And we've been doing it for thousands of years, 2,000 years, because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. What we are doing here is an extended version of communion. We are remembering the sacrifice. Jesus himself asked us to remember what he has done. He told us to take a moment and zoom in on the pain that I endured. And why do you want to do that? Is he wants to show us this is how much I love you. I spread my arms all the way out. I allowed them to put nails into them. And then I died. So when you eat of the bread and you drink of the cup, remember me. And so that's what we are going to do now. There are stations right over there, right over there, with the bread and the cup for you to partake in. But here's what the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians. He says, everyone, that includes all of us, ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What he's saying is that we should take inventory. We should look into our lives as we remember what Christ has done. We should look in and say, Lord, is there anything that I'm holding back from you? You held nothing back from me. Is there anything that I am holding back from you? And friends, if there is, tonight is the night to let it die. Drop it at the foot of the cross. Take a survey. He gave it all for you. Guess what he asks in return? For all. All of our life. He wants every part of us. Why? Not so he can squash our life, but so he can give us new life. And so friends, before you drink of the cup and before you partake of the bread, here is my plea with you. Take inventory. Say, Lord, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what we've witnessed here tonight and what you did 2,000 years ago. If there's anything in me that is not of you, take it and I put it on the altar. I lay it before the cross. I want it to die tonight so that I could rise with new life. So tonight as you take communion, my request is that you take it seriously because this is a serious deal what Christ did. The heaviness that we feel in this room will turn into applause and celebration on Sunday morning. But for the moment, let it sink in to what he's actually done for you and know that that is how much he loved you. He loves us enough to submit to the will of the Father. He loves us enough to stay the course. And he loved us enough to die 
in our place. Let me pray for communion. Jesus, as we partake of the bread and drink of the cup, may we remember you. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place. I pray that you would reveal to us what it is you desire to speak to us tonight. Let your Holy Spirit rest here. What you have done is nothing short of magnificent, but the best part is Sunday. The best part is Sunday. But there's no resurrection without a death. And I thank you. We collectively thank you for dying on our behalf. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. Let's partake of the bread and the cup in Jesus' name. Well, so here we are in this incredible juxtaposition of feeling incredible weight and sorrow, the burden as we mourn the death of a loved one, yet the incredible hope, the lift that comes from knowing what is about to happen. As Jake said, Sunday is right around the corner and we know that that is the day that everything was truly finished, where Christ defeated death once and for all, our hope in heaven secured forever. And so, like at any Christian wedding, we mourn the loss of a loved one. We carry that into the weekend, yet we have hope on the horizon, knowing heaven is just ahead of us. So this Sunday, three services, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. Truly hope that you will be there and bring someone, someones with you as we celebrate the greatest story in all of human history. The resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We call it Easter. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 So as we wrap up our time here, I want to dim the lights one more time and watch this video.